0: This week, um, a pretty famous figure passed away. His name was Billy Graham. Who knows who Billy Graham is? People, yeah, a, lot, a lot of people. Now, if you're, under, if you're under 30 or 20, you might not know who Billy Graham is. My daughter this week, the day that Billy Graham passed away, uh, she, she said, hey, Julia, Billy Graham passed away today. And Julia's like, who? And Julia's 13. Billy Graham's 99. Billy Graham would have been 86 when she was born. She would have been six months old on his last official uh, you know, crusade or time when he preached publicly. So if you're under 20, it's very possible that you're not as familiar with who Billy Graham is. Famous 20th century evangelist. I don't know of a Christian leader who was more well-known, um, appreciated, loved nationally and international news and positive news. Positive news often people make the news for bad reasons. He made the news oft, very often for good reasons and um, incredible person when I was um, younger, there was a Billy Graham Crusade here in Montreal. I remember going downtown by metro. I remember my, my parents actually went down to north carolina uh, I think it 's North Carolina where they have their retreat center and spent a week just kind of learning from that organization and so you know people who grow up in the second half of uh, the 20th century and even early on up to 20 years ago would have remembered if they were uh, following Jesus at the time who he was. Interesting, he was called America's pastor this week on the news. I mean, imagine being the pastor to 330 million people. Uh, No, obviously not literally, but in that way, people viewed him that way. He was known for preaching literally to millions of people. They, I don't know who counted or how they worked all this out, but they figured out that he preached in his lifetime to 215 million people in 115 countries. That's incredible. And, but outside of his popularity and his platform, um, he was an inside out type of person. What I mean by that is that he walked his talk. He was credible person of integrity and, and moments when he felt that he was off or went wrong or didn't do something he should have done or did something he shouldn't have done. He was often the kind of person who would just express that very open and humbly. He's the kind of guy who hung out with the rich and the poor, with presidents and the rest of us, with uh, all types of colors and races and yet he was so humble, he, he apologized. Um, John Perkins, a black leader in the States, mentioned how Billy Graham apologized to him at one point. He said, John, I'm sorry, I should have done more during the civil rights movement. I should have been a stronger voice. And John Perkins says he, he did do stuff, but he, in his heart he felt I should have done more. Um, he apologized when he got too political or too close to politics, and yet he seemed to have walked a balanced line. But he had this conviction in his heart did I cross a line? Did I say what I shouldn't have said? Have I stepped over some boundaries? One of the, the things I really appreciate about someone like Billy Graham, of course, his, his platform was incredibly vast. But he, he was asked, hey, if, what are some of the regrets you had looking back? And he, he said a few things, I, f- I found this, and he said, for one thing, I would speak less and study more. I would spend more time with my family. He said, I I would also spend more time in spiritual nurture, seeking to grow closer to God so I could become more like Christ. And I would want to spend more time in prayer looking back. And then lastly, he says, I would give more attention to fellowship with Christians who could teach me and encourage me and even rebuke me when necessary. And I read that and I think this person who was used by God to speak to millions and millions of people reflects back on his life And of course, I'm sure he would have wanted to reach one million more, but when he looks back, he says, these are the things I wish I would have pursued a little bit more. So think of someone like Billy Graham and his core message, at the heart of his core message was every person we lock eyes with matters to God. Every person we lock eyes with matters to God. And he felt so deeply that every person needed an invitation, deserved an invitation to come to know and follow and believe in Jesus. Because he believed that hope and life and forgiveness and eternity was only found in Jesus, not ourselves. And so he preached and lived and gave and sacrificed for that. And he did it with simplicity, with humility, with integrity, with dependency on the Holy Spirit. And I asked the question, well, why? Why did he do that? Why did he pursue so much Why did he give time and energy and raise money to do that? Why did he spend enormous amounts of time and effort and strategy towards that? And I think of the question, what was the outcome? What did he believe the outcome would be for someone to put their faith in Christ, for someone to follow Jesus, for someone to know Jesus and discover who he is? Because he preached to millions for that reason. And I wanna kinda bring it down to just two or three ideas When I think about what is the outcome, there's so much we can talk about and so much about the life that can take place when someone comes to know Jesus, but these kind of three core ideas. And the three of this, and I'll just state them off the bat. He believed in his heart, and I believe we do as well, that when someone comes to Christ and follows Jesus, they experience forgiveness, they're forgiven, they're connected, and they're awakened to life. That everyone we lock eyes with, longs for this in some way. The scriptures talk about this, but I think the human soul reflects this, that the human soul and the human individual longs for this in some way, that there's a wrestling inside the human heart, inside humanity, to be forgiven, to be connected, to be awakened to life. So when Graham would preach, he hit these themes a lot because they're all over the Bible, and he believed the source of these themes were Jesus. And I want to read one verse from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. If you've been with us for a while, you know we've been in 1 Peter, and it just so happens that there's a verse in 1 Peter that fits this super well. And the reason I think this is the case is because you can read the whole New Testament and find themes of this. You can read the Gospels, the Book of Acts, you can read Paul's letters, and you will find the themes we read in this verse right now. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says these words. For Christ also suffered once for sins... The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. I love this simple, short reflection right, found right in the middle of Peter's letter. Think about this first line. For Christ also suffered for sins. Christ also suffered for our sins. When, when Peter says the word suffer. He means Christ died. When we talk about Christ's suffering in the scriptures or Christ's sufferings in his life leading up to the cross and that moment where he gives his life, that suffering is literally Jesus' death. Now, Peter uses the word suffering because the people he's writing to, they are suffering also. So he wants them to understand that while you suffer, that as you pursue this life following Christ, even in your suffering, Christ knows what you're going through. And so he tries to tell them Christ suffered as well. But what he means by suffering, literally, is that Jesus died. And he tells us the purpose for Christ's suffering, he suffered once for what? For sins. That humanity has this sin issue, this brokenness issue, that we've detoured from God or bent towards a life away from God because of our sin, and we cannot be restored or reconciled without God intervening, and God intervened through his son Jesus on the cross. There's a brokenness most people, and I'd say this, most of us try to deny. Most of us will try and deny that there's a brokenness. But most of us have a hard time avoiding that it actually exists. You chat with your friends or neighbors, whether they believe or not, there's a denial in our human nature that there's a brokenness, and yet it's hard to avoid that it's actually there, because we experience it. We hit the wall. We hit, we hit areas of our lives where we know that there's brokenness. It pops up in our relationships. It pops up, pops up in our work. It pops up in our attitudes. It pops up in our reactions. It pops up in so many areas of our lives. Now, I heard um, this short interview that was, became very popular this week. It was on, the, on NBC, uh, the Today Show, with, with Megan Ryan, and she was interviewing Kathy Lee Gifford. Now, I never quote Kathy Lee Gifford, and I probably won't ever quote her again. Um, I don't really follow her, but she here she was. She, they brought her on because she knew Billy Graham personally, and it was the day after he passed away, and so she came on to share a, a bit of her experience with him, and, and she just shared some beautiful, beautiful moments of how personal, how um, loving he was, how real he was in private as he was in public. But she has this opportunity to talk to the audience and talk to millions of viewers, and she just straight out right through the camera says, There's a malignancy in the soul of humanity and the only cure is Jesus. I mean, this is like NBC Today show, millions of people watching, then retweeted and shared over the internet. There's a malignancy in the soul of humanity and the only cure is Jesus. The only cure is Jesus. And Peter says that Jesus, the righteous one, the perfect one for the unrighteous, the imperfect ones, you and I. That the righteous one, Jesus, died for the unrighteous ones, us. Now you say, am I unrighteous? Like I know most of you or a good portion of you and there's some really great people. But let me ask you this question. Let me kind of put this scale up on the screen. So if you had to rate yourself from zero to 10, Think about that. Now, before you rate yourself, one second. Where where would Billy Graham if you know who Billy Graham is or heard of his story or where would Billy what, what number would Billy Graham be on 0 to 10? What would you think? For just like goodness, righteousness, like 2? Somebody said a 2. <laughs> so, let, let's I don't know, let's rate him at a let's let, you know, let's say he's a 7. So, let's say I say Mother Teresa. Where would you rate Mother Teresa? Wow. Who's so negative? <laughs> um, where would you rate Mother Teresa? I don't know. Let's just think about it. Eight. Eight. Okay. What about our Canadian figure skaters who won the gold this week? Where would, you, where would you rate our Canadian figure They won the gold. Okay. What? What's that? Oh, wow. We're getting really, like, particular. Where would you rate yourself? You don't have to say a number. Where would you rate yourself from zero to ten? Think about that. One seems to be the common answer for someone in the crowd. <laughs> think about that. Jesus the righteous one died for the unrighteous. Jesus the only 10 on the scale died for everyone from a 9 down to 0 down to minus numbers whoever you want to comes to mind that's been we think has been super evil in our world or in history. Jesus the only 10 died for all the zeros and ones and twos and sevens and eights and nines because there's this gap between any of those numbers to ten that none of us really can reach because only God is good. Only Jesus is righteous. I was at a seminar this week just for a one day and uh, they, there were some church leaders and they brought in a Christian uh, doctor, a uh, specialist on emotional issues, um, uh, mental health issues, things like that, and, and he was talking about certain things that are going on, obviously, in our, in our minds, in our culture, in our society, but, and then he had a little piece of his presentation that he talked about the spiritual as well and how, how we, just in some practical ways, we can discover freedom, and he said the two top otherworldly things that we can do to find freedom in life, you know what at the top two he said in all the things he's discovered and read? the two top things that we can do to find freedom in life is forgiveness and repentance. Is discover, find, or come to the ability to forgive when you've been hurt or to repent when you've done wrong to somebody. And when I think about who has the capacity to forgive, those who've been forgiven, where's the true source of forgiveness? A God who sends his son to die For an unrighteous humanity, forgiveness is the one thing that brings freedom, and yet most people, I think, try and cope to live life without it. Like, I can make do. Maybe I don't have to forgive. Maybe I don't need to repent. Maybe I don't need forgiveness. Maybe I'll just make it through this day and the next day and next week and the week after. And then, yet, we've all been in those moments. And maybe you've had a moment of clarity where you're about to do something and someone, a good friend says, you know that if you make this decision, you're gonna have to live with it like the rest of your life and you feel the weight of what that might mean. Maybe you've been hurt or you've hurt someone or you're, you grasp to find that sense of peace and wholeness. And it's really a rat race in our humanity. It's really a rat race in our culture, this constant striving, this restless pursuit to achieve, to become, to arrive, or even to be free of, of guilt. And there's a cultural pursuit in that. There's a spiritual pursuit in that. In fact, I was, you know, sometimes when, when I uh, teach through a baptism class like we've done recently, and even in our church community, people who have come to know Christ often I'll hear phrases like, I, I just, I want to be better and, and I'm, I'm afraid to fail and I'm afraid um, to mess up I'm afraid to to disappoint God. And there's a sense that even in coming to Christ, we haven't discovered the grace that God actually has for us, the forgiveness that He offers us. Even those who, quote unquote, have been forgiven or experienced the forgiveness of Christ, our world just keeps shaping us towards I got to achieve, I got to be better, I got to reach this moment, I got to reach this moment, I got to reach this level. And there's this striving in the human heart for that. And I love what Peter says. He says, for Christ suffered once. I love that word. Christ suffered once for our sins. The Apostle Paul in chapter six of Romans says, he died once and for all. See, I don't know about you, but I know I struggle with this, is that the way that sometimes I wanna approach life and relationships and meaning and purpose and significance is I'm always trying to do something to, to achieve this or to feel this way or to get value from somebody or to find my identity. And often the way we spell religion or faith or even secular pursuits, because it doesn't matter what you believe, I'm telling you, I think that every person we meet has this, this struggle, this wrestle to achieve and to be this and to be that. And we spell that kind of life D-O, two letters, D-O, doing, 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 trying, pursuing, trying to reach this level, trying to reach that level, trying to be perceived well in people's eyes, trying to make sure that people see me well, trying to make sure that I I don't don't, uh, hurt anybody or fail anybody or mess up in this or trying to make sure that I I, achieve a certain thing in life or a certain kind of income or something or do right by people and we're doing, 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 doing. And you know, people view faith like that. People often view God like that. People's probably most significant image of God, I'm not joking, is Santa Claus, right? He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake, right? He knows when you've been, so be good for, right? That, and that's like culture has told us, this is the way God is like. So make sure you do better and you do good and you achieve this, but here's the beauty of this verse, that Christ died once and for all. You know how faith is described in the scriptures? Just add two letters to that word. It's spelt done. D-O-N-E. That you and I don't have to strive for forgiveness that we don't have to reach a certain level for God to love us or care for us or embrace us or welcome him in. And I was thinking today as we're worshiping the verse from Hebrews that says that by his grace we can enter confidently into the throne room of God because he's embraced us, because of what Jesus already did on the cross for us. It's already been provided for you and me once and for all, D O N Isn't that an amazing truth? Isn't that an amazing reminder? Maybe you're sitting here and saying, Dave, that's so basic. I've been following Jesus for 15 years. I've known Jesus for 30 years. But I bet this week you're going to go out and try and live life spelled D-O. And sometimes not live in the beauty and grace of D-O-N-E. And some of you are here and you're just visiting or you're seeking or you're, you're just on the fence about faith and Christianity and, and what's the perception that culture has put in your mind or maybe some other religious systems have put in your mind or even our secular society is that if we don't achieve something, we'll never get this back. It's basically the, the view of karma. If I do this, then this will come back to me. But grace just blows karma out of the water. It's done. Jesus did it. And here's why. Peter says that Christ suffered once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that we might be connected. So that, why? To bring you and me to God. It's for relationship. God did this. Jesus went to the cross, so we, he would bring us to God. He would bring us to God, this hunger in humanity for relationship, this God-shaped desire, this God-shaped craving in our hearts for community and for relationship. And Jesus died once and for all, not just to forgive you. That's a, a big deal. Not just to restore you, that's a big deal. But to connect you to God. To bring you into relationship with your creator. To bring me into relationship with my creator. To reconcile us back to him Because sin and brokenness had kept us apart. And even our own inclinations deter away from it. But God did this. Jesus suffered for us so we could be connected to God. And that craving we have for relationship is found in Jesus. And because of his death, we have been brought close into relationship with our creator. And here's the beautiful thing. In relationship with God, you find love and hope and purpose and meaning it doesn't mean that the next day everything is perfect. It doesn't mean that even when our friends today are gonna to get baptized, it doesn't mean that tomorrow they're not gonna find a struggle at work or a conflict at work or an issue to deal with at home. That's not the deal. But there is something that happens when we come into a relationship with God that our experience of love and hope and purpose and security and value and validation changes. But here's the beauty, that when we come to a relationship with God, that relationship overflows to other relationships. I wanna just put, a, put an image on the screen. And uh, it's just a wheel with spokes. But if you can just imagine in the middle of the wheel, the core of the wheel, that is our relationship with God. That is the capacity, the possibility, what God has done for us to help us be in relationship with him. And here's the beauty of this. If you're on this spoke and I'm on this spoke, the closer we get to God, what happens? The closer we get to God, the closer we get to each other. The closer we come to a deep relationship with our Heavenly Father, the closer we can grow with one another. The closer we can grow in our relationships. It doesn't mean that we don't need to work through issues in our lives. It doesn't mean that there's some obstacles that we face. It doesn't mean that sometimes we have to work on things and make sure that God continues to, to do stuff in us. But the general direction is that as we get closer to God, as we get closer to God, we get closer to each other. The capacity for that. And here's the beauty, because when, when you discover forgiveness from God, it makes it so much easier to offer it to others. When you've been given mercy and hope, where the scripture says, when you confess your sins to one another or to God, he is faithful and just to forgive you, that means that when we, when we do that and we experience that, all of a sudden this capacity to confess becomes better, easier we find the strength and the purpose in that. That when we experience his mercy and grace, all of a sudden we learn how to become merciful and graceful with people. That's how, that's the only way as we get closer to God, can we fulfill what Jesus says when he says, love your enemies. I read this amazing line yesterday that when Jesus says to love your enemies, it means we love our enemies better than our enemies love each other. Imagine that, imagine two enemies or like this group of enemies, And we start loving the enemies better than they even love each other? Wouldn't that be crazy? As we get closer to God, it overflows into our other relationships. And then last piece, we're awakened to this new life. And here's just this next part of the verse as we continue reading it. He was put to death in the body. Jesus died. But, I'm so grateful for that but, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus, though he died, He was made alive in the spirit. That Jesus, as he died, he overcame death and then overcame the grave. And he becomes alive in spirit. And here's the beautiful thing. That's the promise for you and me. This life that Jesus receives in the spirit, this life that happens because of the resurrection and the overcoming of death in the grave, that changes everything and that gives us this promise because the scriptures tell us that the resurrection is a promise for us and that the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit is a promise for us. And so here's the thing. When we die to sin, we also gain life. When we die to our brokenness and turn to God, we also turn to life. That that when we discover who we are truly and discover we need to follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when we die to that, we discover this life. We're awakened to this new life. The scripture promises, he who has the son has life. And that Jesus has come to give us life, and life to the fullest. I just want to read this, this passage of scripture with us, and we're going to just slowly come to a close here. But I, I'm not going to explain it. I just want to read it. And I want you to just, just we're going to read it slowly. And just let, let the themes of this text from Romans 6 just sink into us. I think it's so awesome. Those who are getting baptized today, this really reflects also what you're walking through, but it's for all of us. So I'll read it slowly. Feel free to either read along or just look and let, it, let the words kind of be spoken over you. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ, So that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. Once. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? What if you just would read that every day this week and let it sink in? This truth. This truth. I want to end with a story, and we started off talking about Billy Graham, and um, you know many of us saw the Billy Graham from the platform and interviewed on TV and standing with the president or Martin Luther King or other things. May 1935. Just think about this. May 1935. My dad was born in 1939, so this was four years before he was born. May 1935. Billy Graham was 15 years old. Worked on his dad's farm in North Carolina. One day he's working with his friend and they're moving hay or something like that and uh, they hear this music coming from like a barn further off on the property. It was a large property and they hear music coming from there and his friend says, Billy, what's that music? And he's like, I don't know, probably some fanatics. My dad is letting them use the space to do some church service. They're just some some of those people. They convinced him and they probably... He probably let them use it. You could get a sense. At 15 years old, Billy had zero interest in Jesus. Zero interest in this idea of what was going on in that barn. And uh, a couple of months later, in September of that year, this evangelist came to town an evangelist was someone who would maybe come to town and speak and preach or teach for a day or two or maybe a week or maybe several weeks and in the same location and just people would come listen to this person kind of share the gospel story of jesus and so in this september this evangelist comes to town it lasts several weeks and billy's friend says hey billy why don't you come with me to check out this speak this preacher and he's like i don't want to listen to a preacher Billy's life was uh, kind of like a lapsed Catholic type of life. He said, you know, my parents read the Bible every day. We went to church. We did, we did the stuff. But he said, God was dead to me. I didn't feel that at all. This September, his, his friend says, Billy, why don't you come? Let's go to this. And he like, I don't want to go. And he's like, I heard the preacher's like a fighter. Like he's really strong and powerful and bold. And he like, and I guess, I mean, in that time, 1935, I mean, like, there's no Instagram. There's no YouTube. Yeah, well, let's go check out the entertaining preacher. I guess, right? But he still wasn't convinced. And he's like, his friend says, "Listen, I'll let you drive my dad's milk truck there and back if you want to come." <laughs> Big deal, 1935. Drive, drive my friend's dad's milk truck. So Billy's like, "Sure." I mean, if you let me drive the truck, I'll go to the thing. So they, so he goes. He went and he, he goes there that night. The first night he goes, he's listening. Kind of walks in skeptical, but something intrigues him. Something starts to stir in him. He goes back the next night. Something continues to stir in him and kind of brew in him. Goes back the next night. After a couple of nights, and after over a week, he just keeps coming back. And one night, one night, as the preacher gives this invitation to respond to the lordship and the salvation of Jesus, he invites people, will you come? Will you, if you want to respond to Jesus, if you want to make him Lord of your life and embrace his forgiveness and begin to live life with him, would you come? Right, right to the front of wherever the speaker was talking, talking. And so Billy says that he, he, felt, he felt he needed to go. But he says, as I got up, I felt like there was lead weights on my ankles. Like I just, everything in me, it took everything in me to walk to the front of this room. He said, something was just pulling me back. But he went. And in that, in that evening, he embraced the invitation to make Jesus Lord and Savior of his life. And something happened for him that night. God changed his heart. Something happened in him that night. He received the forgiveness his soul was longing for. He became connected to his heavenly father. He was awakened to this new life that the scriptures talk about. He realized in that moment that faith is not spelt D-O, doing, 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 doing. He realized in that moment that because Jesus died, not just for the world, but for him, once and for all it was done, he realized this is not just some religious thing. Jesus already did this. It's done, D-O-N-E, on the cross, for me. And his response in that moment He he started to experience God's forgiveness. He started to experience this new relationship, and it awakened him to this new life. Forgiven, connected, awakened. Now, some of us will only say, and the news will say, the biggest thing about Billy Graham is that he preached to 215 million people. But even Billy Graham said, the most important thing for me, the most important need in my life was not... That I preached to millions of people, but that I embraced Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. That changed me, he said. That is the most important thing for him. That though he reached millions, what drove him daily was his own relationship with God the forgiveness he experienced, the relationship he got connected to, the life he was awakened to. And he embraced it that day, 1935, September, October 1935, he embraced it completely changed his life. And I'm not telling you this story so you can become a Billy Graham or I can become a Billy Graham. We don't know how God's going to use us. But to know the heartbeat of what that means, to know the forgiveness and relationship and life that only comes when we embrace Jesus. So even in this moment, I'm going to ask the the team to slowly get ready and other things as we move forward today but here's, here's the thing you might be here and you're saying I'm, I'm ready like I'm so grateful you're listening to me and you're saying I know this Dave I know this and if that's you then celebrate just celebrate say that's amazing celebrate your forgiveness celebrate your relationship celebrate your new life that's amazing but here's the deal if you're sitting here maybe you've been sitting here for weeks or maybe you just came today or maybe you just showed up maybe you came because a friend invited you maybe you've come sporadically and you're wondering, how do I, I, I want to stop the striving in my own heart. I want to stop that constant feeling like I'd, I have to do, do, do. I want to feel that once and for all done that Jesus did for me. So my question is, why wait any longer to be forgiven? Why wait any longer to be connected? Why wait any longer to be awakened to new life? Why wait? That's only God can offer you that. So why don't we do this today? If, if you're there at this moment, you're saying, I want to move forward in this. I want to make this step. I'm going to just, we're going to take a moment. We're going to pray before we hear some stories of people's spiritual journey. And I want to pray with you. And if, if your heart is there just in this moment saying, I'm ready to embrace Jesus as Lord. I long for that forgiveness. I long for that connection. I long for that life. Then all of us, we're going to pray. But I specifically ask you to pray with me in these next few moments, before we collectively pray together, so if the, maybe my words can be your can be helpful to be your words and you can make this step, let's just take this moment and pray together. God, there's some in this room that may be long that long, God. To be free of that kind of striving and wrestling and restlessness. Maybe they haven't realized that the hope is you. Once and for all. You sent your son. Suffered for us. The righteous for the unrighteous. So we can discover, experience forgiveness. So we can be free from the constant striving so we can be connected to you, so we can be awakened to new life. God, if there's anyone here in this moment that is longing for that, I pray right now that their words and their, the intention of their heart would lead them to embrace you. Hey, And if that's you right now, I'm gonna pray a prayer as if, as if it might be your prayer to God in this moment. Heavenly Father, I long for this forgiveness, this connection, this life that you promised me in Jesus. And I, I turn away, I turn away from a life that was running away from you and skeptical of you and a life that was governed by sin and brokenness. I turn to you. I put my trust in your son, what he did on the cross for me and humanity and in his lordship, in his leadership, in his authority. I want to call him Lord. So I do that in this moment. I call him Lord and embrace his salvation, forgiveness for me. And I invite you to lead me and guide me and shape me, and nurture me, and transform me, so I can grow in this relationship with you, so I can grow in this new awakened life. I long for that. So I welcome your work in my life, Lord. Amen.